We're having a conversation. It looks like it'll be rather intimate, but it's all the better for poetry. Um, um, our session is called The Sea and the Mirror, and we'll get into what that kind of means metaphorically a bit later. Um, but first of all, I'd really like to welcome our distinguished um, and wonderful panel of poets today. Um, let me just quickly introduce them. I, I know all of them actually, actually I know the two gentlemen very well. Um, I have never met Kim Idum before, but I'm so pleased to meet her this time. And Charlotte, I experienced in Berlin. So anyway, I'll introduce all of them. Um, actually, maybe I won't read out the bios because, you know, they're in the book. You can read them yourself. But um, a little bit of an introduction for um, Kalama. Kalama is a poet from the Philippines. Um, and he is, um, one for me, one of the most evocative young poets of the Philippines. Um, I met him s about four years ago, I think, on a platform of Southeast Asian um, conversations. And we've been communicating and also collaborating ever since. Um, and Kalama to me is um, incredibly evocative in that he speaks very much from, from the personal, but also, also to the larger, larger issues of um, politics and region and sexuality and things like that, yeah. So, um, that is Kalama. Um, Nicola is a poet from Macedonia, Nicola Mazirov, um, who is really, is recognized actually as one of the, the most uh, distinctive poets of his generation, not only in Macedonia, but also in Europe. Um, Nicola is a, is a very dear friend, and uh, we, we met in Berlin first, yeah? I think so, also many years ago, uh, through the Lyric Line Network, and uh, have been also dear friends ever since. Um, Nicola has actually, this is not the first time he's in Malaysia, he's traveled a few times, but it's his first time in Penang, and it is his first time at the GTLF. He's actually also being translated into Malay uh, by Mustakim, Mustakim Muhammad Radi, who is a wonderful um, translator and poet, from, from the English, not from the Macedonian, but hopefully in a few years there will be a Malay translation of uh, Nicola's work. Um, Kim, actually Kim, I will maybe have to refer to your bio because I don't know you as well as the others, but Kim is, um, I first heard about Kim Yudum um, by reading like Asymptote and uh, journals of poetry and translation, and actually she has a very um, powerful reputation as a poet who's very disruptive somehow too. She's sort of powerful feminist poetry that is very disruptive to the kind of, um, how would I say, maybe mainstream, mainstream Korean literature and society which tends to, that this kind of male dominance and it's also um, sometimes commented for her kind of even violence in her poetry, the violence and sexuality that is very apparent in her poetry. So she's a powerful presence and very pleased to have her here. Um, Charlotte, I encountered in Berlin. Actually, we didn't meet personally, but I, I first heard her at the Berlin, at the Berlin uh, Poesie Festival a few years ago. And uh, I was really, really impressed and, and actually very moved by her poetry because Charlotte, to me, is is quite rare um, in, in a generation that is actually, I think performance poetry is gaining a lot of popularity in, among young poets, not only, in, not only in Malaysia, but also in Europe. 
Um, but I found Charlotte. Charlotte's, Charlotte performs her poetry, but for me it was in incredibly different from any of the poets that I had really experienced because there was something very intimate about her performance. And I felt almost like, um, like you were telling secrets. And it felt so intimate and so powerful and so personal. That, and that was something completely, um, really stayed with me. I mean, to be honest, you were, you, it was the only performance that stayed with me from that <laughs> festival. But I was so happy that you're here, and it's a real pleasure to have you here. Yes. Um, so I'd just like to start. Just give me a moment. Um, so the sea in the mirror. Um, some of you may know it's actually a it's actually a title that W. H. Auden gave to a to an essay he wrote uh, based on the Tempest. But I actually wanted to to kind of use that um, that title in a slightly different way um, to talk about how poetry can be um, a kind of journey into both the self, which I think the mirror somehow symbolizes in a, um, in a way, but also, and also into the outer world of uh, topography, landscape, and, and um, external journeys, in a way, um, which represented by the sea. Um, of course, all these topographies are different according to um, your own context, and also their own, I think, the challenges that Kim Yidum's Political landscape, even, I think, is quite different from, from the things that, that some of you deal with in your own poetry. But perhaps, perhaps I can start with uh, Kalama, because, um, yeah, maybe you can speak a little bit about, um, first of all, how did, when was the first moment that you actually encountered poetry, not, not just as a reader, but for yourself, and, encounter, and realized that you were a poet, and that you needed to write poetry, and why? Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so uh, my initial encounter with poetry was when I was about 12 years old, and there was this sheaf of um, mimeograph papers um, which contained poems. And there was this particular work that I still remember to this day. Um, it's called um, Beyond Forgetting. Um, it's kind of a love letter um, of a poet to a beloved, a typical template. Um, and then I just read the words, and it was in English. Um, and then suddenly, um, something opened, like the potential of the words to carry this sense of uh, the emotion, the body, um, other than simply communicating things, that it could have this certain flavor and texture. And that was primary my attraction to, to poetry um, as a language that opens um, the doors of the, the senses. And, and therefore, um, and, and that's something that, oh, perhaps um, I, I could emulate this. Um, and um, perhaps I could write the same way. Um, and so that kind of predicted or cleared the path for me to, to oh, okay, so I wanted to do this. Um, and then when I got to, to college, to, to the university, um, I was fortunate enough that one of the, actually the college dean, um, was a poet, an award-winning poet from the Philippines. And, and, um, and she became my, my mentor um, eventually. So it was initially that personal encounter 
of a text on a page and, and then a decision, um, a conscious decision of actually making something out of it. So I took up uh, literature in college, which led me to, to books, to, to mentors, to workshops, and eventually, before I knew it, I, I, was, I was crafting um, the, the poems that would constitute my first book. Um, maybe I can ask Charlotte now to, to share perhaps your, your encounter with poetry as both as a reader and as a poet. Um, I think I was, um, we have, to, you know the children's story by Roald Dahl, Matilda? I, I always identify with that character as I think back of myself as a child. I was, um, I grew up in a house where there were no books or um, not a lot of cultural activity, um, not a lot of conversations also, but I, I kind of disappeared into reading a lot. So I guess I was a, a, a very ardent reader first before I could even imagine myself to write. Um, and then I went to university to study English and German literature, and I was 18 years old, I guess, or 19, about that time, and I had two very concrete encounters with two texts. Um, the first was a poem by the Dutch poet Remco Kampert, and uh, it's called Lamento, and it goes like, um, hier nu, langs het lange diepe water, dat ik dacht, dat je altijd maar, dat altijd maar, hier nu, langs het lange diepe water. And it goes on and on, very repetitive meter. And then the other poem is a world-renowned poem, I guess it's Todesfuge by Paul Celan. And it too has a lot of repetition in it. It's schwarze Milch der Frühe, wir trinken sie morgens, wir trinken sie abends, wir trinken und trinken. So um, I actually, very, uh, by coincidence, heard these two poems um, in two classes, I guess. And uh, Paul Celan has, has one audio record recording of his, if him reading Todesfüge on YouTube, and it's this very creaking sound band, and his voice is also creaking, and um, I think I, I felt like I, I was beaten up or something. I had a very physical reaction to those texts, and not only because um, of course, the Todesfugen is an unimaginable horror. It's about not being able to speak, but having a very vitalist urge to speak. Um, so I, I think I had a very... Uh, it was also the first time I, w I really was moved by art in a, in a physical way, I guess. And then I became megalomaniac. <laughs> and I thought, I want to be able to do this, uh, to create something as powerful as, um, as what just happened to me. So. It was very concrete uh, moment. That's uh, Paul Celan. Um, actually, he also did the same thing to me because, uh, and that poem especially, of course, Todesfuge. So, it, um, for those of you who are not familiar with Paul Celan, he is really one of the most powerful German language uh, poets of the 20th century. And he spoke, he used the German language to speak about the horrors of the 20th century. So his his family was uh, was eliminated. Just, destroyed and uh, killed by the Holocaust. And he somehow survived this, and, but he spoke about it in his poetry. And he used that kind of German language to almost to answer the horrors of, of the German uh, Nazism. Um, and Todesfuge in particular has this really incantatory power. Um, and it's talking about actually those, the kind of death tangos that some of the, the Jews were made to play while they dig their graves. 
it's a really horrifying experience. But that was something that really happened. And he used then the fugue, the Bach fugue, yeah, which is a very Germanic in its, uh, in, in its manifestation, of course, by Bach. Yeah. Um, but he used that as the form of the fugue to actually uh, talk about this. It's, it is very powerful. And so I started translating porcelain also into Malay. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yes. Um, yes. Um, maybe Kim, <coughs> Idum, can you maybe talk about how you first encountered poetry? What made you first to start to write poetry? I published uh, seven poem books in Korea. And uh, just to, uh, seven poem books and uh, two essay books and um, two um, another politic books. Just the three books are translated in English at America. You know, <clears throat> I always write eating, sleeping, and then writing and work uh, in the several university. So writing or a poem is my friend and uh, poem is my lover. Sometimes a poem is my beautiful enemy. Yeah. Uh, poetry keep me awake. Poetry give me joy, but deep sorrow. Poetry require me deep understanding of others and another world. Sometimes poetry can be a weapon of change of a revolution like guns and knives. But the shape side of knives, the gun bore's hole, yeah, must be toward the person who, who he catch. Do you understand? Really, but it sounds very yeah. poetic. <laughs> yeah, if I, uh, sometimes a gun is a uh, gun, gun is same poem, poem sometimes. You know, but the, but the gun is not toward the another people to that is to yourself yeah, yeah. yeah. myself mm -hmm. yeah. yeah poem can't kill others just can kill my mm, dirty parts or some something maybe nicola can you um could you share with us how how you've, you first encountered poetry. I think you've told me stories about your grandmother before, right? Like uh, how she was also quite instrumental in, in nurturing a sense of 
Yes, in fact, she never pronounced these words, and that's how she keeps the secret and also the sacral, let's say, um, meaning, significance of poetry by not naming it like this. All I know that she was singing um, to me, uh, and those poems were changing constantly. They didn't have titles in a way, uh, and that's this fleeting um, uniform of, of words helped me to understand that even when we write the, those words on a paper, they can be read in a different way. I remember when, when my father wanted to fix the lyrics of, the, of this song, she just told him, why do you kill this song? So I will um, just continue about this dangerous aspect of poetry, let's say, but it's, it's um, as, a, as a gun, but I think the fragility is the power of, of poetry in a way. And not to quote Yeats, it would said, having an argument with yourself is poetry and with the others is uh, just rhetorics. So, walking on this line of, of danger, I think um, it's connected again with my childhood. I go back to this safe realm of uh, memory and uh, first remembrance. In fact, I wrote things on the wall by using, by using the makeup of my mother. And uh, when my father came home, he starts shouting because I, I, I tell this story that I damaged the walls and my mother was shouting because I damaged her makeup. So in a way, I connected always writing with danger and I felt more safe in, in reading, in fact. So I... <laughs> Then the second stage came when they really wanted to um, hurt me as a reader, so they were just burning my books. And I was hiding them in boxes on the bottom of, the, of uh, where my clothes from childhood was, because no one was touching this. And in, in a way, this when we talk about sea, I always think about the bottom more about, than about the surface. So I found these boxes as the essential bottom of my existence. And um, let's say that the clothes were kind of covers of, of uh, the thoughts that were leading me uh, forward. And in kind of write, writing, I found um, this freedom. Beidou says that the freedom is the distance between yeah, the the hunter and the animal. And I found this kind of writing as this freedom. And I found it's very important for the writer to be both at the same time, the hunter and the hunted. So since then, I rely more of this um, temporary, let's say, uh, significance of words, because I think that the writer as 
Cocteau would put it, it's, it's not inventing, but listening. So it's very important for writer. Is it okay? To know how to listen the world. That's how the writer can open the window to the sea and to the mirror. Mm -hmm. And the world is so big, but it's deep as a sea inside us, what Rilke said. How did, um, with this kind of encounter of poetry and, um, and starting to actually write it yourself, how does the language of poetry, I mean, of course we all use language in our everyday lives, but how did that, how is it different? How is poetry a different kind of language and, and how does it differ from, does it allow you to say things that you cannot say in ordinary life or to, or to approach language in a different way? Maybe Charlotte? Mm, I guess if um, I would have to um, give an image to it, I would say that uh, everyday language um, is quite pragmatical in the way that it is a line. Um, I want to say something to another person and I want to say it as clearly, uh, as lucid as possible. And I guess poetry for me is more of a volume um, between people, so it has layers and uh, it takes up space and it uh, has a relationship to space and it is um, volumized because it is um, charged language or emotional language or emotive language. And um, I have uh, one cycle in my second collection. I think I actually read it in Berlin that night. And um, it is about my first love. I, was, um, I had a great first love, I guess we were together for eight years and uh, then we separated and I uh, wrote eight poems um, from eight to one, so uh, each having 12 lines for every year we were together and I tried to reconstruct um, from the end to the beginning um, and people responded to it um, in, an, in a very um, well, emotional way, because they felt it was so autobiographical. But then um, I always say poetry is never autobiographical, and at the same time, it always is. So I guess um, that is the difference and the, the depth between poetic language and pragmatic language, because um, poetic language is also very manipulative, um, especially when it comes to memory, I guess. Um, so this gap between um, what you experience and giving language to it is a, it's a dangerous trap or a dangerous field, I guess, when you're um, writing, yeah. Alama, um, yeah, could you share some of your thoughts on this? Um, <clears throat> generally, um, um, I compare it like between talking and singing. So if it's just about uh, ferrying information about something, about ordinary life. I mean, the subject matter um, doesn't matter in poetry anyway. So it would be like talking, but in, in poetry. Um, also, it's um, root in the, the lyric tradition, for instance. So for me, it's like rather than talking about it, I'll sing about it. So that has been um, my kind the a, a way I see a uh, poetic language, still some kind of a song rather than you know a piece of information I tell to 
to someone. Um, so which means that there is emphasis on the qualities of the language, um, the carefulness with which you handle the language, um, the sound, um, and also because the song has a singer, um, I'm also taking a certain position, a subject position towards what I'm singing about. Um, and that, of course, um, you know, is multiple and also fragmented and all of that. So in the act of singing, singing um, perhaps I'm also kind of constructing uh, the singer. Um, so it's never implicitly foregrounded at the onset. So it's like building the ship as you sail it. Um, and so I'm singing and also building the self as I sing. So, so, so something to that effect. But you're also, um, as a poet, not just a singer, but also the songwriter and the musician. The songwriter the and the performer <laughs> yeah. and, and the song. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, you do, I'd like to ask you um, actually about, so to you, at least what I know of your poetry, it seems to be very, um, almost to start in, in the body rather than in the mind, like an idea or a concept, but it seems to be like a quite f a physical thing. Can you maybe explain a bit about this? Does it start yeah. for you in the body? Speaking is not good. It's okay. Just yeah. um, respond however yeah. you can, even in a poem. It's yeah. fine. Uh, can I say about the language first time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure, go ahead. Yes. I think uh, every day, uh, ordinarily, uh, is like a walk, walking. But poem language is like a dance or ballet. Right? So, uh, uh, ordinary language wants to communication, have a pur some purpose. But poem language not don't have any goals or necessity or pur purpose. I think so. So my poem is a little bit difficult to read, to understand. I'm sorry. We understood that perfectly. That was a wonderful <laughs> enactment and embodiment. Yeah. I'm, uh, I like your uh, writing of body. I'm pushing poetry all over my body. I write a poem uh, with sweat and uh, physiology. Physi physiology. Physiology. Yeah, and uh, blood. Instead of the pen, ink. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Yes. Perfect. I. Perfect. Yeah. Pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My point almost always start with the real, 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 reality, and uh, little things. It's like, um, for example, uh, 
It's like an airplane running on runway. Runway. This this ground is a reality. And then boom, go to the into sky. It's a fantasy or memories or few years ago memories or inside uh, trauma. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, we have to put our 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 legs put in the ground and then small experiences small thing thinking small accident it made me uh, right and then um, many uh, fantasy many things is added that poem so can i say Stop. Yeah, sure. Okay. Can we continue later? That was perfectly lucid. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, Nicola, um, maybe Nicola, could you you can actually answer either one of those uh, things that I brought up just now. One, also, if you want to say something about the ordinary language and how poetry is different. I think I'd actually like to ask you uh, quite specifically also about maybe in Macedonia. There's a wonderful tradition of not just oral literature but also. Um, Orthodox songs, Orthodox religion, the, the kind of the mysticism and chanting, does that influence um, your poetry? And also, how is that related to your poetry or your, or your concept of what poetry does? Exactly, because it's interesting to, to say that in Macedonian language, there's a specific word uh, for translating poetry. Also, it's, there are no two words. You cannot separate song um, from poem. It's called pesna, so both. It refers to song and to, to a poem. And when you translate poetry, you use another word than translation, uh, translating prose or essays. It's called prepev. A pe, it means to sing. So it means when you translate a poem, it means you have to sing over and over again to re-sing it. So uh, in a way to give your voice, the color of your voice. That's how you, in a way, you make um, you give a different color to the words, to the silence, and especially to the empty space between stanzas and uh, the margins that are in fact very important for the general silence, or it's have the same for me uh, in architectural, let's say, uh, use the if I use the language of architecture, those are the streets where in fact the buildings can breathe and they, they take light from, that's how I, I imagine these uh, empty spaces. Um, it's so important for poetry. And in a way, as it is the construction workers that um, live in these temporary cabins while they build those buildings that will stay there forever. And that's how I feel myself when I write, living around the words and and try uh, that trying to construct a poem out of of words, silences, and displacements. Um, so, language is uh, very important in that way. That um, I always try to find the organic side of it. Try to find 
the, the, all the shapes and modifications, depending on the historical, ideological moments in the language, and also whether the language itself is, is just a tool or the language can be um, kind of uh, poetry itself because it absorbs not only not only the uh, the memory of of one um, generation but also the memory of of a, of a person the one who writes i found it let's say that that's why i think that um, language because i grew up in communism and there was really what we were doing was to try to to put together on the same level, on the same, um, let's say, on these coordinates of danger, to put the everyday language together with this so-called higher language of metaphors, because it was important people on the street not to understand you, what you talk about. It was a matter of survival and also a matter of, of um, keeping your mind be behind the meaning, the ordinary meaning of written in dictionaries. And there was always a second or third meaning of what we were saying, because the first meaning was defined by the dictator, by the state. In that way, I couldn't, I couldn't make a difference between everyday language when I was a child and the language that we were speaking between in the family, inside the house, and outside, because we were taught that every wall, we were taught, we were taught that every street has, let's say, tendency to hear, to read what you said, and that, again, I will come to this uh, danger um, situation it can endanger your physical existence. Poetry was kind of, again, I will say, open window of this house of being what Heidegger will put. Um, I'd also like maybe some of the rest of you, also Kim really embodied the question of language just now, but also she responded to the, the idea of the a poetry starting in the body, but I'd like to ask for the rest of you, um, where does poetry start for you? Does it start with an idea or a concept or is it, um, or is it something physical or even visceral or subconscious even? Um, maybe Charlotte, could you? Um, I always feel um, incompetent when I start writing because um, I don't have a fixed form or mold for what I'm going to do. I, um, I repeat sounds a lot and out of sounds imagery is created and out of uh, a racketing cadence of imagery there is a meter that, it, that um, emerges and out of that meter emerges meaning. So it's sort of a domino effect that starts with the smallest particle, the sound. And um, so I, when I start writing, I actually don't know where it's going. Um, that's, that's other phases of the work, I guess, to uh, give a meaningful order to, um, <clears throat> to um, what you wrote. 
But the first uh, step is an intuitive process, a um, an auditive process, and I always write out loud. So I guess I know my poem by heart before I put it on paper. So um, it's very connected to literally to my voice and um, to my um, to speech and where speech is formed and um, how it sounds. Yeah. There's something I noticed with your poetry in particular is almost as if um, I don't know if anyone else could read it because it does sound like it's so personal and so connected to your voice and your, your being that it would be a completely different experience if somebody else read it out loud, I would say. Um, yeah, that's funny. I was uh, some students at drama schools in Antwerp and uh, beyond are, uh, did some of my poems for their exams and I was invited to go watch. I was very honored and it was um, an amazing experience. Um, it was violation and uh, praise at the same time. Yeah. So uh, I often also hear that if I read my poetry, people can't, um, when they buy the book, for example, and they take it home and they read it themselves, they hear my voice in their head. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> this, is a, this is a powerful thing about your poetry, for sure. Um, Kalama, what about you? Does it, does it start with an idea or a vision or a hallucination? Yeah, um, I think I, I write from the position of loss, that something is irretrievably gone. So poetry um, kind of revives something that is no longer um, accessible, something that is no longer retrievable. So for instance, like I can never write about ongoing things like relationships and current state of affairs. So for instance, like the, the EJK, like the extrajudicial killing um, in the Philippines, um, I had the personal encounter of that. I saw a body um, uh, by the street side, um, obviously tortured uh, with hands and feet bound and the, the head wrapped um, with a masking tape. Um, and for me, you know, um, this is still an ongoing reality um, in the Philippines. It's not that I don't want um, to acknowledge the, the, the death, um, and also, you know, there are all, all other questions about my own subject position relative to this, the ethical and moral dilemmas that come writing about these stories. Um, so, so, so there, so there's always that. So I wrote about my childhood house, which is already gone. I write about my grandmother, who's very dear to me. In fact, I had her name tattooed on my wrist. Um, who died like 20 years ago. Um, and it's only like in my fifth collection um, that I had some kind of courage and the stamina and a kind of stable ground uh, from which to, to write about the, these losses. So for me, it's like, in, in, in a way, like my collection is um, an accumulation of, uh, of losses. And, um, and, you know, of course, there's sadness into that. Um, and perhaps, you know, um, my writing is a form of a continuous allergy. Um, but, 
but there's also um, the human and palpable um, and in fact also fulfilling joy and that I can, you know, through, through language, through the space of language, um, through the through language's architecture of loss, um, I can um, touch base again uh, with these things that are no longer, um, that no longer circulate, um, that no longer share the same air uh, that, I, that I breathe. Um, but so they are like a, 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 since I said I am a singer, perhaps I'm a singer of, of loss. Do you find yourself, um, is that loss always a personal loss or is it sometimes a kind of collective loss or even? Sometimes it's a, it's a collective loss. Um, personal, you know, like I, I mentioned about my grandmother and my childhood house. And also that there's also a kind of familial loss. Um, like, it's not like just me uh, mourning over the death of my grandmother, for instance, or mourning the death uh, or, or the, the this destruction of my childhood home. So it's always like, okay, since I'm the poet, I'm going to write about it. But there's also the other people in my life who also share that loss. Um, and, and therefore, parang, uh, there's this awareness that this loss is not just unique to me. And that also kind of allows me to, 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 to approach it from a sense of um, humility that this task to, to write about it is also something that I have to, um, to consider uh, or to be responsible um, about. Because this is not, this is also the story of other people. Um, and if we're talking about collective loss, um, you know, the loss of collective memory, for instance. I mean, in the Philippines, um, it's pretty much evident, right? Like, um, um, Fernan Ferdinand Marcos, um, who ruled the Philippines for 10, 20 years. Um, two years ago, he was uh, laid to rest. Um, at the Libingen ng mga Bayani, which was the hero cemetery. Um, and, and it was just like, you know, it was just 1986. Uh, and, and now um, there is the, the family, so it's back, and all of this. So, um, so in a perverse sense, um, that, that kind of, recuperation must also be met with a kind of response, right? Um, in one way or another, um, going to the streets to protest, um, which we did um, together with my students, and also writing about it. But it's a, how do you, um, there's a, the, the dilemma still, um, and hopefully, um, I, I got to resolve this, like, if the nation, or at least a, a dominant part of the, of our, of the voice of the nation says that, you know, he can be buried in the hero cemetery, what do we do about it uh, as poets, as artists, as chroniclers of the times? Uh, and that's something that, you know, um, perhaps uh, not in the, 
you know, like uh, my succeeding projects, but it's definitely something that bears heavy upon me. And that's something that, um, again, hopefully I'll have the courage, the stamina, and that stable ground uh, with which to confront it. I just want to get actually Nicola to respond to that in the sense that I know that Macedonia also had many changes in terms of uh, just socially and historically in the last uh, few centuries actually and and how does poetry also help for yourself but but also for the wider community and also for the language to reclaim some of those collective memories of uh, of Macedonia once I remembered when again I will back be back since it's a panel on grandmothers so I will come back to my grandmother when she asked me to help her to for the give her medication I opened the box full of medication I found there a key of course for a door that doesn't exist anymore uh, since they were refugees but also I found a different ID cards from my grandfather which changed many surnames that during the um, kingdom of uh, Serbo-Croatia then the uh, part of Serbia, so, and I, I thought that I have many grandfathers uh, as, a, as a child, so many names there, uh, different cards, and she was collecting them as kind of, um, they were in a way a memory of states that uh, don't exist anymore. And, and she used to say to me, you travel so much, but I was just sit I'm sitting on this bed and I changed five countries, which was true. She didn't move and she changed five countries in her life. And in that way, I, I think that's why I tried to, to move the, the dynamics of my home. That's how I discovered it, because I was afraid that by sitting here, things are changing. I, I thought that by moving, things can stabilize, that can, in a way, they can be static. I, my movements were, in a way, a hope that I will be constant in my life, but it never happened, in a way. Everything became, um, everything be escape. And, um, but what was keeping me back was uh, the voice of, of, of the other poets I was reading, in a way. So those were my, my roots. And Milos said that every way, every way, everywhere he moves, he still feels that he has the chain of Poland next to his leg uh, that brings him back. In a way, I felt the same, that I don't control my uh, memory, that I, I cannot control the world of my childhood. I cannot control the architecture of, of my oblivion. And I think that's why I started writing, uh, to confirm that I'm here, no matter I write about absence. I don't talk about eternity. When we are ch children, when, when you see fresh asphalt, at least I was doing it, all you want to see it is to step 
And, but you don't think that this, your feet will stay there forever. It's not about eternity, it's just a matter of uh, confirming your presence that you're here and it becomes your memory after some time. So, the process of writing is kind of renewing your memory but not repeating it. It's kind of like in the Mendeleev system to put, to find the words, in fact, that they already exist in the world, but they're empty spaces, so you have to find them, to rediscover things, not to invent. It's nothing have to do with the inventing. And what Adam Zagavsky would say, writing is like, like um, riding a balloon and you have to rely on winds more than on steering, controlling this balloon. And I think those winds that I think that also have their own shadows are in a way uh, spreading our words in the world because the world is the source we are drinking of the spring we are drinking from, I think so. Um, I wonder if uh, you do, can you maybe talk about, is, is memory important for you in your poetry, rem the process of remembering something old, or do you really see, or when you write poetry, is it something that you are creating something new? I have very sensitive uh, seven skins. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no. Smelling, listening, and I senses. So, that is very nature. So, it's maybe sensory for you than than to linked with memory. I think I I feel this when I read your poetry. It's very sensory. Yeah, I feel I'm feeling his poem is coming to me. Sometimes, yeah. Yesterday, I went to the port, port near port, and the, the, yeah, the yeah firework. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Fi why firework? Make a firework. I don't know. <laughs> food festival. I think so. Yeah, yes, yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. were launching the yeah. food festival, the fireworks. Very, yeah, yeah. Very colorful and very fantastic. Yeah. I saw that. And then go back to my room. I started to write okay. about uh, uh, a poem about Penang. Oh. But <laughs> I I didn't write about the beautiful um, firework. No, behind the very deep um, dark uh, part. Uh, the, um, under the fire worker, the beggar, old beggar is uh, sitting under a, a wet road. Yes, night, the raining, yeah. Um, that is my, um, naturally focused that. And I, um, my case, very bad things. Um, yeah, when I, Eight years old, my parents devoted, de, 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 and uh, my parents 
abandoned me. Yeah. But uh, your case, Charlotte, many books uh, in my house, many books is books. So I can read that. Uh, now I am here. If uh, if my father is father and mother is very good person, maybe I am in the big castle. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Maybe maybe you wouldn't be a poet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't poet. Yeah, um, few years ago I went to the München. 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 Yeah, Deutsch, in Deutsch. Yeah. yeah, Deutschland. Yeah. Uh, uh, train station, a front of station, I lost my purse money, total money. Somebody in my back, money, right there. But nobody, I don't know. I went to, the, to buy a bottle of water, but my money is empty. Yeah, gone. So I cry and then that night, I called to every my friend, and uh, I wrote about that. Yeah, when I said, and when I went to killing me, uh, I, I write, yeah. And the poem is very famous in Korea, so I, I gain um, not so much, so much money. Small money, I gained money, <laughs> and uh, yeah. If I don't, if I don't have, don't write a poem, maybe I go to the crazy girls go to their the hospital. Yeah, maybe I'm in the in the in the hospital. Very strong chain in my hands and my legs, <laughs> Maybe yeah. So. Now, um, bad, bad things come to me. I'm, I think I'm okay. Come, bad guys, come. <laughs> Crazy times. I should write my poem. That is material, my poems. Well, that's, that's good. But, but uh, frankly, I want I want I want to happy. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very profound. So there is a sense of there is a sense of loss. There is a sense of trauma, even um, and pain as well. But yeah, but so poetry can be this kind of cathartic power. Yeah, to for yourself, but also like you said, also for your for the collective memory and collective pain as well. Um, Charlotte, maybe um, you, did, you spoke about the, the auditory qualities of your poetry. Um, I was also wanting, and you spoke about some of the early influences of your poetry, but uh, perhaps could you speak a bit about who, who you read or what, even what you listen to now and what is it that kind of um, maybe helps you to hear yourself, do you just need to go into, a, into silence? Or do you actually, does listening to the world also help you listen to yourself? I, am, I feel that I am never at the right place with the right temperament. So uh, I feel coming to a festival like this or 
Uh, performing a lot is an escape from silence. And then all I long for is, uh, you know, I'm having the best time, but somewhere inside of me, I'm longing for silence. And then when I'm home writing, um, my days are solitary, or I keep them solitary. I guess I push everything away then. And then I long for connection and um, so I haven't figured that out quite yet, when to listen to myself and when to listen to the world. But um, I am more and more aware that um, reality, um, also political reality, is becoming complex and um, dangerous also. And I feel that um, since I have technique, um, if I may say that about myself, I don't know, since I have a poetic technique or a poetic voice, I feel more and more responsible to um, use poetry um, as a tool to talk about those things. So um, it's not a natural thing for me to do um, because I feel poetry is not, a, not that much the right material to um, go on the barricades. At the same time, it is the only right material. Maybe um, I can resonate what you guys said about that in this way. Um, but I, I also feel very helpless sometimes when I'm writing poetry. And I just wrote a nonfiction book, sort of as an antithesis, I guess, to um, that inner voice to um, look for, um, mm, yeah. to look for um, concrete grounds, I think. Yeah. Is, is silence important for you at all, or, is, or in the process of writing, or in, the, or in the process of just discovering your own voice, or do you actually throw yourself into the world um, and to uh, find that? Yeah, um, I, I think my um, poetic preoccupation would be or like my main sense would be the sense of sight. Um, so, um, and also like in the, in the poems that I read, um, I'm drawn more um, to, to poets who have a very intense kind of, or intense level of description uh, in, this, in their poems. Um, um, of course, you know, um, issues about, um, language um, and the way words sound and how also silence or pockets of silence consolate around these sounds. Um, but, um, but personally, um, there's an emphasis on, on the visual, um, on the scene. Um, and that's something that also kind of propels me to, to write about something like um, if I for instance, like, I want to know the different shades of blue. How is the blue different? Uh, the blue of the sky, say, is different from the blue of the, of the sea and all of that. And how is the, this blue conveyed um, in my mind? And that's also another entirely different world. Um, so, so, yeah, um, so I, 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 I write as much as possible um, descriptively. And also, um, it's, it's because also, since I mentioned about um, loss, so for me, description is an act of recovery because I'm providing the visual details. 
uh, memory is visual, and that's why in my, in my poetry and also um, those that I tend to um, to read more often would be this uh, the poets who would have this this eye that's sensitive to to a variety uh, of colors and hues and 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 shades and and tints um, and and this is also the reason why perhaps um, poetry kind of provided me the, the space uh, or like the jump off point to, to write about art. Um, I also, um, aside from writing poetry, um, in fact, I haven't been writing for quite some time. Um, I do um, like the wall text, the exhibition notes. Um, and in, in the Philippines particularly, uh, it's still paintings. Uh, more than anything, um, and I think it's the same also. Um, so, in, in different parts of uh, Southeast Asia, if I may say so. Um, but, 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 yeah. Um, so the, the the image for me is is supreme. Nicola, could you say something about silence? Because I know silence is very important to you. In a way, yes, because it was. As I said, silence was a matter of, of survival, and, but I wanted to see the other, the other form of silence, the silence like the behind the mirror, let's say, and I found it in one of the lines of Emily Dickinson's, Dickinson where she, where she says that silence is infinity, and in that way, it's, infinity cannot be um, absence of 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 sound, uh, which that's how we define silence. Unfortunately, we we, we define as a negation of, of uh, denying of of sound, as well as we define peace, like no war. It's it's sad to to see to look at uh, those essential things, uh, uh, like a response, not like a beginning. Of something and when we talk about this silence and when um, um, we talked about the political and uh, poetical how they sometimes cross and crash I would quote Brodsky when he says that uh, the only thing that he have in common poetry and politics is the two first two letters P and O and it's um, I think it's beautiful because, you know, po politics is so present in our, our life, and it makes us uh, to pressure to to respond in any way, even with a poem. And it's, I think it's the, the worst way uh, to to become um, voice of of people or voice of society. It's much better as they found in one of the layers of what we write or what other poets write, something as an idea that can move the society step forward, like in the case with uh, the lines of Inger Christensen that were written on the transparents in Copenhagen during the protests or the misty poets in China. But those poems were already written and, and it was kind of 
they were in the blood of the people on the street. There was no project, was not project not imposed. And this silence is very important. Yes. Yes, so they were not slogans. Um, I would like actually, we, so we have about 10 minutes, but I would like, if we can, to maybe ask each of them to quickly read a short passage of, from their own poetry, just to get a sense of who they are. Um, Kalama, perhaps you can start? Yes, just a, a short part, an excerpt. We don't have much time, so excerpt, not a whole poem. <laughs> okay. Oh, and we'll have a reading tonight, so... <laughs> um, it's, um, since I already mentioned about um, uh, my grandmother and the childhood home, I'll be reading uh, two uh, stanzas from a, a Sestina I wrote. Um, it's called Sestina for Streetside Sorrow. Um, our, the, the, the name of our street uh, is Cuatro de Julio, which is of course Spanish for Fourth of July, which is the Independence Day of the United States of America. So <laughs> that kind of association with this colonialist um, marker as the name of our street, which is in Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, which colonized us also for 300 years. So there, there are so many layers. Uh, but it's really also the, where the house uh, was located. So um, just two, two, two stanzas. Nothing famous ever came out of Cuatro de Julio. The, the street that always interrupted the sleep of its inhabitants, including my grandmothers, who had to listen through the bawling sorrow of drunkards, the scampering of the police, all of us under their mercy, our inheritance. Largely debt and unhappiness, our inheritance was not visible to those living outside Cuatro de Julio. If it were, other people, especially the police, would have been more forgiving, allowing our sleep, our silence, and our poverty. Exposed to sorrow like salt, we swallowed our tears like grandmother. Um, I'll read a short stanza from a poem I will also be reading tonight. And just to be, um, to tease you, I will read it in Dutch. So if you want to know what it means, you'll have to come by later. En ik heb het geprobeerd vannacht. De vissen op de kust weer in het water geprobeerd. De vissen terug in hun leven te gooien. En weer de vissen weer in leven in het water te gooien. Dat heb ik geprobeerd. Could you please read something? Would you, do you uh, want, it, yeah. is it in translation or in Korean? You can read it also in Korean and then, yeah, yeah? if you want. Oh, okay, then read in English. On, is it okay? Yeah? Or you want me to read it? This is a parent, um, a flower, what's this? A flower bouquet. Would you like flower me? bouquet yeah. or a, a song of a siren, which it is, is a better? It is up to you. Siren? But it should be small. Small? Flower bouquet. Two, two it's small. Is small. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, your, your voice is loud. 
I will read. Uh, and who's the translator? Ah, okay, there are three translators. So this is a poem by Kim Yudum, translated by Ji Yun Lee, Don Mi Choi, and Johannes Gransson. Yeah, a flower bouquet. But there will be more tonight, so please come later. Um, a flower bouquet. Congratulations. Good luck. When these stops stop sounding like an attack, when someone ties a flower bouquet or slowly unties it, when nobody is screaming or crying or when I can't hear anything at all, I will walk on this path. It's a protected area, a path made for animals to roam. There will be more tonight, in Korean also. Yeah. Uh, Nicola, please do share with us. In, in Macedonian or English? Okay, so my son is 14 years old now, and uh, his name is Constantine. I thought that it's much better. It's someone in our family is more constant than me. Um, and he was when he was six years old, he was asked, do you know what your father's profession is? He said, yeah, I know, I, he's a poet. And what does it mean? The one who travels, he answered. <laughs> and I don't like uh, nouns, so I prefer for someone who publishes a book to, to say that he's the one who writes. And this is the poem. First in Macedonian, it's very short, and then in English. Ti pišuvash. Za neštata koji veke postojat, a velat deka izmisluvaš. Molčiš kako potopena mreža na ribokraci, kako angel koji znaje što ke se sluči so noćda. I patuvaš, zaboravaš, za da se vratiš, ti pišuvaš. I ne sakaš da se sekjevaš na kamenot, na moreto, na vrnicite, što spijat so razdvojeni blanki. The one who writes. You write about the things that already exist and then say you fantasize. You keep quiet like the sunken nets of poachers, like an angel who knows what the night may bring. And you travel. You forget so that you can come back. You write and you don't want to remember the stone, the sea, the believers sleeping with their hands apart. Thank you. Um, I'd like to open up the questions to, to the audience, please. Oh, there's many hands, okay. Um, let's start with the lady, Filza, please. Hi. Oh, first of all, thank you so much for the wonderful intimate session discussion about poetry. Um, my question is, I have two questions actually. So Pauline, you asked them about uh, where does po poetry start for you? And my question is where does a poem, not poetry specific, but a poem specifically end for you when, you, uh, when you're in the writing process? Because oftentimes, um, as you know, someone who writes poetry myself, uh, when you construct a poem, um, let it out, it has a momentum of its own and it can be a bit difficult to kind of like find like 
which should be the final word or where you should stop it. And how do you decide you know, to end or where to end a poem? So that's my first question. My second question is for Nicola. So um, you've been talking a lot about um, excavation, this idea of excavation of memory and uh, how it relates to poetry. And um, the poetic form, I find, is a very specific way of remembering. And I'm curious if um, your, uh, the process of remembrance for you, is it different when you write a poem versus when you write uh, the process, the uh, pro process of remembering versus when you write a prose or an essay? So that's maybe, those are my um, questions. I'll get maybe Charlotte. Could you respond to the first and then Nicola respond to the second? Um, to respond to your question, maybe briefly, I think a poem doesn't end. I stop writing because it um, wears me out. So, um, Nicola, could you respond? Yeah. It's true. I think when I write poetry, it's kind of trying to, to find out those, let's say, uh, pictures of memory that I don't remember. It's about fragmentized memory, always when you write poetry. And this is the voice when, in fact, comes and your mind tells you when to go to the next line. In a way, it's kind of an instinct where to stop and no matter the shape of the paper, you just transfer to the next, you, you leave empty space. And it's, again, I would say, it's excavation of those images, of those sounds that you are missing desperately. And it's, you write about absence. And that's how you made these words to be present. And I think Paul Valéry, the first question, gave the answer. And I don't want to go further than this. He said, poem cannot be finished, just abandoned. Um, Jack. Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Jack Mali. I'm a poet from Ipoh, uh, and with an art collective called Project Rabat. So, my question is that uh, about memories. So, there's this cartoon show called Over the Garden Wall. Um, it has a beautiful soundtrack that goes like, how the gentle wind beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall. Uh, dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the loveliest lies of all. So, memories, it is the loveliest lies of all. So, my question is how reliable are memories for poets? So, yeah, anyone can question. Kalama? Yeah? Um. I approach it uh, with the, the understanding that language is not transparent, um, that it's um, that you negotiate things that you remember through the medium of language, which may 
refract, reflect, amplify, enlarge, um, telescope, microscope, and things like this. Um, so, so I'm aware of the capacity of language to distort, um, um, essentially. Um, and, and, and therefore, um, when I write, um, I, I, I talked about you know, loss and how poetry for me is also a kind of recuperation of that loss. But it's never, you know, there's no one-to-one -one correspondence because I know that language itself um, is something that's apart from me, um, that's independent of me, uh, whose words I try to cobble up to kind of approximate um, the, the, the memory, but in so doing also try to fill in the, the gaps. Um, to, um, to acknowledge the fact that um, once you're reading a work, um, that it's not simply a retelling of something, um, that it's memory um, configured and reconfigured, uh, memory mixed with other remembrances. And so that's the tricky part. Um, uh, of poetry that, um, like, uh, uh, just to give you a, a concrete example, um, my mother and I were about to watch a concert uh, by America, Horse with No Name, um, um, and that was a memory. But the context of the memory in my head also had different, um, had different resonances. Uh, she was in the United States in the 60s. Um, there was a bomb explosion before, <laughs> before we, we were, before, you know, we, we were eating and there was a bomb explosion and then we still went to, to see the concert. Um, and it was Valentine's Day. So all of these things, you know, they're no longer pure. Uh, as a memory, but because you're thinking it through the language, um, these other strands, these other tributaries um, of ideas kind of merge, and, 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 and that's poetry. Wafa, um, please. Yeah. To uh, Nicola, you say that uh, you try to find the words, the missing words in Mendeleev periodic table. So are you looking for the words or you just wait for them? And to uh, Charlotte, um, I would love to know what's the process of your first line in the poem. And uh, another thing is in Arabic poetry, we say absence is the provision or supply of poetry. So uh, to what extent do you rely on absence or is there space to presence in poetry? Okay. Well, let's say it's about waiting, and to be short, Roland Barthes used to say that the waiting is the most profound uh, form of love, because the one who is in love always comes before time to wait for 
is beloved. That's how I wait for the words. I have a line in one of my poems that goes, if I translate it roughly, waiting and swelling, it's the same verb. So, um, absence and presence, I um, would love to give a very elaborate discourse on that, but I'm afraid time's up, but I, I do want to say that I believe that um, you know, the ellipse or the caesura are, sorry, sorry, are uh, two measures of style that I use a lot in my poetic technique because they make something present by um, taking something away, you make it even more present than by just describing it. So I think there is a, a tension between absence and presence in, in every poem. It's about omission and not saying it is saying it, I guess. The process of your first line in your poetry is it separated than the rest of the poem? You mean first um, line in 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 any poem of you, the first line is it separated mm -hmm. than the rest of the poem? In in how in my writing process, you mean? Yeah, like does um, it come first as the first line and then? Mm, not always. It's not a constant. Um, it's not constant. I guess uh, in one poem I use uh, a voice is on hunt tonight and um, the, this uh, line in Dutch is stemhout van avondjacht. So I guess that creates a kind of cadence and then um, sort of first line can be the motor of the poem but at the same time it's, it can also be written in retrospect when the poem is uh, already there or I don't have a solid answer for that. Sorry. Thank you. Oh, there, there was there more questions. Yes, please. Hi, my name is Alex. Uh, as we progress with time, uh, do you ever have a situation whereby you reflect on your poems and thought that it might be written in a different way due to some new considerations of your situations, emotional well-being, and so on and so forth? And if that happens, what do you do about it? Is there anyone you'd like to answer, or just everybody or anybody? Alex, could, would you want someone specific to answer, or just uh, Charlotte, if you don't mind? Okay. Um, um, I guess when you start writing poetry, it's um, there is a bit of a sentimental movement at first, or when I was a very young girl writing poetry, I guess sentiment was my um, my trapdoor. And um, I thought that by writing a poem about, about something, I could um, build this little language monument for it and stay close to it. And I think that is the biggest deception up till now. Um, you um, you make it worse by writing a poem about it. Um, so I guess if I reread my um, earliest poems, I um, I think we we talked about it uh, or in the panel with excavation of memory. There there was it was also been said that uh, it's it's uh, embarrassing to look back at some work and then. Time progresses and uh, you learn to love it again. So I guess poetry is like all things in life. You 
you attract it and you um, repel it, yes. One last, I think, last question. Um, first of all, thank you very much. That was really very reflective, and I'm glad we are just a small group, to be very honest, because it's very intimate. Um, I am not a poet, so uh, just let me ask uh, questions from the world that I come from. So from the way uh, I understand it, I mean, the storms that you talk about, you talk about loss, you talk about traumas, uh, and the silences uh, that come across uh, from what uh, you have been talking about. Uh, uh, can Nikolai, uh, you talk about the absence of sound, and Charlotte, you talk about silence as uh, actually a way of speaking. Uh, so, so in a sense, those are very interesting. Where are the shadows for you? How would you describe the shadows uh, in your poetry? Everybody? <laughs> just, uh, uh, just very quickly, maybe. Maybe as a closing also, because I think this is the last question. Maybe, maybe each of you could do just a brief reflection on Yeah? Column or maybe? Um, to answer it briefly, um, the shadow is the words on the page. No matter they're so dark, in fact, they're proof of someone's presence. Idum, can you, could you reflect on this? Is a shadow in uh, your poetry? I, I'm finding now, I'm, I'm finding my shadow and uh, I'm wondering this word to catch that. I would use the image of a, a, um, a scab on a wound rather than the shadow because the scab means the wound is covered and is healing, but it also points out the wound. So I guess I would um, describe it with that image of the scab, yeah. Okay, with that, really, um, thank you all, Charlotte, Yidum, Nicola, and Kalama for that magnificent panel. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>